Well, good morning. Uh, we uh, are excited to be here as Christians, and this is uh, the day that we celebrate the most. I want to tell you this morning, though, I think that often we find ourselves maybe approaching this day, maybe believing part of the truth, but maybe not all of it. It reminds me of the story of two people, truth and lies. Truth decides after a, a warm, hot, muggy day in the summer that he'd go down to the local uh, river in, the, in the town and goes down there and realizes he's in his work clothes, and uh, this is rated G, by the way, but uh, decides to take those off and, you know, skinny dip. So he's out in the, in the river. Uh, but Lies comes by and sees him out there. And Lies realizes that the set of clothes he has looks a little bit nicer than his, and so he decides he would take his off and take Truth's clothing. He does, and he also takes his clothing with him so he wouldn't be found out. So Lies heads to town. Truth is kind of enjoying the water in the river. Well, he gets out and realizes what happened, and he remembers seeing Lies kind of hanging around the area and realizes Lies taken his clothing, Truth's clothing. So he goes to town and realizes he's got to go buck naked down to town. This draws quite a crowd, uh, and so he ends up confronting Lies. And as you could imagine, the arguing back and forth uh, now the people that are gathered around have a choice. As they're confronted with the choice, do they believe the lies in truth's clothing or do they believe the naked truth? <laughs> this morning, <laughs> the first service didn't laugh, which is interesting. I think a lot of people today live a very religious life. But the problem is, I think they're living a lie that has some truth clothing on it. And the part of the beauty of this morning is being Christ followers, those who have surrendered our life to Christ, we get to claim something that is that we're healed. We've been healed. We've been brought healing uh, from Christ himself through this day. And I wanna unpack a little bit of that passage that Ian read to you in Isaiah 53. You see, Isaiah writes this passage about 700 years before the birth of Christ himself. He doesn't even realize what he's writing, but he's prophesying a Messiah that would come, a, a rising sun that would eventually arrive and solve the problem. Now, this morning, I, I want to talk about being healed, but there's a problem about this concept about being healed from the death uh, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. You see, you first have to recognize that you're sick. You have to realize that you're sick. Now, we're going to look at this text, and I want to kind of help us embrace this idea a little bit. In Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, here's the first section of this verse. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Uh, took up doesn't mean just like he picked up a bag and here and there. It means that he literally, he took on the weight. He, he took it all on. It was as if the world could give him, uh, he could handle nothing more, but he took everything on to himself. It says our pain, and I love this in the Hebrew, because actually pain means sickness. He took our sickness. I mean, come on, a lot of us don't feel sick, right? We don't feel that bad. I mean, we don't feel like we're that far off. 
It says that he took our sickness completely. Then it says he bore our suffering. And this the idea of him taking on and, and bearing that, it, it means that he, he took on our sorrow. Not only does it mean our sickness, but it's our sorrowful sickness. The sickness that we have in feeling just down. You've had those days, right, where you've not felt 100%. You know what I'm talking about, right? How are you feeling today? Not fully there. It says that, that he took on all of our sorrow and our sickness. It says, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. The word afflicted means humbled. It means that our perception is, is that God punished him maybe for what he did, and that is a lie in truth's clothing. The real truth, Jesus led a perfect life, and he led a pure life, and he wasn't punished for what he did, he was being humbled for what we are. It's important for us to get this this morning because we can celebrate a holiday and become very religious and forget the sickness that we, we carry. We've got to realize we're sick. Now, many of you know and recognize this piece of uh, equipment up here. It's seen in hospitals. It's a hospital bed, and many people don't feel like uh, maybe they're sick physically. But this morning, I want you to kind of picture the metaphor that we are all, as the Bible says, sick, spiritually speaking. Hospitals are interesting places. Many of you work there. You're, you're employed there. But it's a hallway, and there's usually rooms to the left and right. And it's that, that varying degree of one room on the left could be pain and loss and death and, and the announcement of a disease or a sickness. On the other room, on the right-hand side, it could be a birth. It could be a great prognosis. It could be healing. And so those places tend to be uh, such a, a, a dichotomy of emotion. But this morning, I want you to grapple with the idea and to understand and realize that you're sick. You're, we're all sick. You see, the Bible talks about this, and it says that we're, we're sinful. And we don't like this idea of sinful. We think it's more attached to our behavior. The word sin actually means to miss the mark. It was used in kind of an archer's picture of, of missing the target. And we immediately go to behavior, don't we? Well, I can get better at that, Troy. I can get better. I mean, can I just work myself to be a better person? You see, many of the, the faith streams or religions that we have formed for ourselves in this earth have largely to do with our own behavior and how we can be better, how we can do a little bit different, and we could self-discipline ourselves to just get it right and a little bit better. But you miss the essence of what sin is really about. It says in the Bible that sin flows from your heart. It flows from our heart. It's a sickness in our heart. It's why the proverb Solomon says, guard your heart with all diligence because from it flows life. And we don't recognize and realize that we're born sinful. Now, some people don't like that. They say, oh, no, my kids are great. You know, my, my kids are awesome. Explain to me, if we were so good, why the first words aren't out of our mouth like, yes, mom, I will clean my room. I would gladly do that for you. <laughs> yes, father, I will humble myself to your leadership, and I absolutely want to do what you want to do. And I won't steal and steal the cookie. I won't throw a fit. I won't throw the tantrum. Why? 
We are born evil. You see, you can't really appreciate this morning that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus resurrected. You see, Jesus came and lived this full life and paid the penalty for sin. He would raise this morning some 2,000 years ago to free us from the power of sin. The power of sin. Because there's a power over us, isn't it? In, in how we operate and behave. And until we get to that point of recognizing that, but many people live in denial. I mean, many people live in this idea that I'm, I'm a pretty decent person and forget, no, friend, you're sick. You're sick. A couple weeks ago, I had a chance, as I had shared with the church, to go to Angola prison. And uh, the warden there, it's 6,000 men, most uh, convicted multiple felons, taken people's lives, abused people. The worst of the worst behaviors our culture could do reside in that 18,000 acre property. The warden gave me a key. He gave us all keys. He actually said, don't take these in because they work, which was good to know, so we didn't. But I think about this often, this key, because I... I actually look around in those cells and think, well, I've not done that bad. I'm, I'm pretty decent. On, on the scale of measuring behavior, I'm pretty good compared to those people. But the Bible says, and this is why Jesus talks about this, is that if you thought it, if you thought it, it births itself in your heart, and if you thought it, it's no different. That bothers people, and so there's this sense we like to, to clothe the lie with a little bit of truth and kind of talk about our behavior. But friends, this morning, we can't deny the reality and the truth. We, act, we can't refuse it. We're sinful. The Scripture says that there is a way that we think is right, but it ends up in death. There are so many passages that speak to this idea that we can't work our way off of this sickness. How many of you have been sick before, and said, I'll just work through it. I'll, I'll just get through this, right? I've, I've done that, yeah. A couple guys are honest, yeah. Because uh, all the rest of them are lying, by the way. And so now we're, we look a lot better now, don't we? No, you know, you've worked yourself like, I'm going to work through this. My brother tells me last week, I got on the phone with him, and we catch up once in a while. He's in California and had a guy that's been working with him, 47 years old. Got a cold, said, I'll work through this. About a week later, passes away, has a major virus, has no idea, but delays it. Now, I tell you that story because there's a lot of people that are denying the fact that there's a sickness in their soul. There's a sickness. And the Bible paints this throughout the scriptures very clearly. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. A claim like that is errant nonsense. And this morning, we can just... We should just take a deep breath and recognize that we have dark hearts. We have evil hearts, sinful hearts, and it's a disease that we're born with. And friends, if you, if you want to prove me different, just watch children. Children have some innocence about them, but it doesn't take long for them to find their nature, right? And it's why discipline and correction come into play. So we have to realize we're sick this morning. If we're going to embrace this naked truth, this reality that Jesus had to come, live a life, 
had to be crucified and pay a price for our sickness, our sin. Well, then what's the next part of this? And, and it says that he was pierced for our transgressions. These two words are, are very different than probably what we recognize. The word pierced uh, actually means to, to, to defile or violate or to pollute. It would be like if this IV bag was filled with, let's say, a contaminating virus of some sorts. I have no idea what I'm medically talking about, but let's just say for sci-fi reasons, right, science fiction, like just, just penetrating, scratching my skin would in minutes end my life. The word pierced means that Jesus was fully penetrated through with the perverse, polluted evil of our hearts. It, it's as if Jesus shows up to your room in your soul and says, you're going to die. That sickness, that sin you have, you're going to die. And it's going to end any kind of relationship I could have with you. I will take it. I'll transfuse it into myself. I will take on. It says that he was, he was violated or polluted, Jesus was, in his perfect life, and took on our transgression. What is our transgression? This is a scary word, and most people don't like to hear this. It's, you're a spiritual terrorist. I mean, you and I, in our evilness and our sickness, are rebels and revolt against God. You see, it's not like God sits up in heaven and is trying just to keep people behaving. But we have moved away from how he designed us. And so when sin entered the world, we were contaminated with a darkness and an evil in our hearts. And it says that he was pierced with the ugly, revel, rebellion, terrorist-like hearts that we have. I don't think of myself as that, as a spiritual terrorist, as someone that would take lives and try to damage and hurt people, but God says that's what sin looks like. And then it says that he was crushed for our iniquities. What does that mean? I'll get to the word crushed, but this, this idea of our iniquities is our perversity or our depravity, our guilt. He had to be crushed in other words, visually, it had to be like he had to stamp out every part of evil that was and would be. Now, the Bible is full of metaphors. You understand a metaphor, right? A metaphor describes, it doesn't define, and so it says Jesus is a door. Well, Jesus doesn't have a doorknob on his chest somewhere. It's, you know, it, it, it is a way for us to understand that we must pass through him in order to know the Father. One of the great metaphors throughout Scripture is about olives. It's about olives. Now olives, we like olives in sauces and pizza and all this stuff, but olives' main value in biblical times was not for food. It actually had three specific uh, values that look very different than what we think of today. It was for the oil. Now we get olive oil today. But it had three purposes. One was for light, because olive oil doesn't, uh, doesn't have a smoke. So it burns very clean. You could use it inside your homes. Light was important. They did not have the power company turning on the electricity in Jerusalem. They had candles. Olive oil is crucial. Second, it was for anointing. Kings, priests, prophets, and as we know, a Messiah. 
They would anoint it. It was a holy sense of, of bringing God, saying that God has selected this one or set apart him. The third area is it brought healing. It was actually used to bring healing, and it was symbolic to pray over and to anoint with oil and to bring healing to people. Now, this process wasn't really like a nice process. Basically, what they would do is they would get a millstone, and they had these kind of these... Uh, the way they kind of engineered it, they'd be on a large stone. If you look at the olives down there in the bottom, these stones were so large at times it took animals or multiple people to push it around and around. It would mash and crunch the seed because 30% of the oil comes from the seed and the olive itself, and it would smash it. It says that uh, in, in Jerusalem, when they would hear the smashing of seeds and olive, it brought joy because it was a sense that Oil was to come. This this crushing, crunching. So after they get this mash, they weren't done yet. That got kind of the first run of some of the oil, and they had these ways that would be caught. They took that then, and they stuck it in these baskets, and they just took all that mash and put it in these baskets, and they would stack them on one another. And you see that stacking. They would either pile large stones on top of that, or they'd have like this vice system, huge systems back in that time, and they would crank it down, and it would be crushing and crushing and crushing. And so, friends, when we have Paul or Jesus himself in the Last Supper says, this body broken, crushed for you, the blood spilt for you, has this really beautiful connection to this oil that Jesus would bring, which would bring us what? Light for our path. It would bring us an anointing that we are his chosen, and it would ultimately bring healing. But friends, do not be fooled. And do not clothe lies with a little bit of truth. Jesus had to fully be killed. He had to suffer the, the depravity, the perversity of our sin and evil. The beautiful part of this, Jesus himself is going to pray in a garden. Right there on the Mount of Olives, right there where you view the city of Jerusalem, literally from here to the end of the auditorium, you could see some of the walls, and he is going to pray in a garden called Gethsemane, which means olive press. Come on. God does nothing by mistake. He is praying in the very garden about the olive press, and he is about to be the olive. This is the view Jesus would have had. These trees still exist today in Jerusalem, and this is the view looking at a gate, the eastern gate, the gate that he would ride the donkey through into the city. And as Revelation says, the Mount of Olives, to return to and to go back through that gate as he enters back victorious and removes the presence of sin. Friends, this is powerful pictures, but I want you to first understand you have to realize you're sick. You have to realize you're sick, and then you have to, you have to be able to take this option that Jesus offers. It says he is the very Savior who rescues us from this present perverse age, dominated by evil by giving his life according to our Father's will to deal with our sins. 1 John 1, 9, the second part of that says, on the other hand, if we admit our sins, make a clean break of them, he won't let us down. He'll be true to himself. He'll forgive our sins and purge us of all wrongdoing. We've got to know 
and realize that we're sick. But then we got to take the option. The, the option, as Jesus is saying, is I will take your place. Could you imagine walking into hospitals, into cancer wards? Many of you have been stricken in your families by a family member uh, lost, or you yourself with that. Could you imagine someone walking in and saying, I'll take it all, and you get to walk away. You, you get to leave. You see, you can't be healed until you recognize you're sick. And then you have this chance to take the option. It reminds me of the story of a bunch of guys going out and swimming in the ocean. And as they go out, two of them go out a, a, a quite a bit distance farther. And as one guy closer to the shore starts seeing one of the guys struggling to swim. And recognizes it's not just a struggle to swim, that he's actually starting to drown. And yet there is a friend that's literally feet away from him not doing anything. And so the friend thinks, well, maybe he doesn't see it. And he shouts, hey, save him. He's drowning. The guy does nothing. He just looks at him. And, and this guy's starting to panic because he can't get there in time. And he's realizing this guy's not saving. He's watching him flail and not moving. I mean, he's to the point where he, now he's yelling at the top of his lungs, save him. And all of a sudden, this guy flailing quits and sinks. And at that moment, that guy gets him, pulls him to shore. As he gets to shore, the guy says, he starts chewing him out. Why didn't you save him? Why did you wait? He says, friend, if you know about a drowning man, he says, you never save them when they still think they can save themselves. You wait until they fully surrender. Part of the beauty of Easter morning is those of us who claim Jesus say he is risen is that it's also a proclamation that we recognize we're sick and we've taken the option. We surrendered. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot get ourselves out of this sickness predicament. And too many people today play religion and they play church and they play, all. look at the things I've done, God. And God said, listen, all of that stuff, while it may seem great, is I want to cure your heart. It's how he could love a bunch of men in Angola who have done the worst things we could possibly imagine, and yet he will say they're freed in here. They may still pay a price in our culture and in our, in our justice system, maybe rightly so, but they're freed. He's taken the sickness from them. They've taken that option. They've surrendered. It's why often I think we need to hear that just maybe, just maybe sometimes life is bringing us those hits and maybe we just need to begin to let go and let God and take that option because you can't fix it. I can't. We need to realize we're sick. We need to take our option. The, the third part comes out of this last passage. It says the punishment that brought us peace was on him. The word punishment means correction and it's, so it's not a a vindictive or evil kind of punishment. It's, it's a correcting. One of my daughters is in driving school, and you know how you get in with a bunch of the students there, and there's fear and trepidation about what's going to happen, but she was driving, and a person pulled out and swerved toward them, and the instructor grabbed the wheel from the driver's side 
to, for a near miss. It wasn't, one of my, it wasn't my daughter's fault. It was this other driver. She corrected. It says that, that God, this punishment, was a corrective way to change the scales, to change the balance, to bring back an option for all of us. It says it brought peace. What's this? We always think of peace as like a quiet home, right? Like no conflict. It's not the absence of conflict. It actually means completeness. Made whole. What a beautiful picture. Jesus goes through the punishment, takes on our sickness so that we could be made complete, whole. So much of church culture today can get around religion. And that is that we can self-correct and we can behave and we can do well. And you got to understand that God is trying to heal something much deeper than just good behavior. He is trying to mend and heal hearts. And it says then, by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. And I think often we like to not talk much about what that looks like. But by his wounds doesn't mean just a wound here and there, like you've gone to the hospital and got stitched up, you've bumped your head, you've broke your arm. No, this is why the gospel writers detail that he was beaten beyond recognition to those he loved. Think about that for a moment, just a moment. Jesus just didn't suffer a little bit. He took on the dark depravity and the evil sickness in our hearts. And then they lashed him to where his back and insides were, were opened up. And then they would crucify him. It was the picture of every evil you could think of in today in our world put on to one. This is the wounds we're talking about. It's that terrorist sickness heart, that revolt, that rebellion in us that Jesus took on. And it says that we are healed which obviously implies that we've been made whole. But it's, it's, it's a healthful, it's a beautiful picture of health and wealth and prosperity. By his wounds we are healed. I think so many times in culture we start to kind of move through holidays and whether it's Christmas or Easter or, or some of the events in our, in our kind of religious life. And we could forget, friends, that Easter isn't simply 2,000 years ago where some man did a very noble thing and said, I love you and I'm going to die for you. No, he took all those who said they were sick. And he took all that on. And anybody who took that option had this chance to announce their healing. Remember when Jesus, Jesus would do this often, he'd heal somebody, right? He would heal the blind man or the lame man and say, hey, listen, by the way, don't tell anybody. Now, it's part of because he wasn't ready to, gotta get, uh, to, to have things unfold as quickly as probably, I know, uh, his, his popularity would allow. But he says, I don't want to tell anybody. And yet when he dies and raises again and is resurrected on Sunday, we know that now we tell the world. And part of announcing our healing is us living differently. And one of the, the simple commands as Jesus talks about is that you now announce that healing through 
baptism. And it was this way for us to say, I am healed. And we know that the water didn't heal us, but we know that that baptism is so symbolic of a heart that has been restored. The sickness is now gone. It says that, that we now go down with Christ. And so going down in the water, you come out a new person. We have to realize we're sick. We have to take the option. And then we announce our healing. Jesus says himself, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Did you notice, if you read your Bible, that Jesus spends time with sinful people? Did you, did you pick up the song lyrics that, that Sylvia sang? Praise him, all you sinners. Every time we show that slide, I feel a little bit uncomfortable, like, whoa, someone's going to be offended by that one. Praise him, all you sinners, you know? I, I, was, I think of it that way. But it's true. We can praise him because we recognize our sickness. And Jesus came for the sick. Notice that anytime someone said they're not sick, the Pharisees, the ones who behaved rightly, he was, get away from me. So much of Christian culture today wraps itself around behavior when Jesus is saying something so much deeper. When Jesus is dying for something so much deeper. He didn't simply die for a murderer or someone who steals or someone who's unfaithful. He died for my dark heart, the sick heart I had, for yours. That's why we celebrate a resurrection. Tim Keller says it this way, and I think this is a powerful kind of summary of what we're saying this morning about embracing this naked truth and not just kind of pretending through a lie dressed in truth. It's as if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. Friends, uh, it's go back in history. You're not going to find very many times someone raised themselves from the dead. In fact, you'll never find it. It says if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? If this morning you don't totally believe that Jesus had to live a perfect life and he was fully crushed, fully broken for your sickness, then it's a partial truth. It's lies dressed in truth. You don't, it doesn't matter. If he kind of died, I've even heard theories of, well, maybe his heart stopped for a little bit and it was resuscitated some amazing way. I don't think there's ER doctors in the tomb or anything like that, but... You know, there's these crazy theories. He wasn't fully dead. Then it doesn't matter what he said. And if you're here this morning and you don't believe in Jesus, then it's just religion. It says the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching. It's whether or not he rose from the dead. In other words, if he did. That's why we gather. We gather on Easter morning because he rose. He beat sin. He beat death, and he says, now I'm going to take, give that option to everyone who wants it. But what a beautiful thing to be healed. By his wounds, we are healed. The problem is, I think many of us, is we're going we're gonna to go into a, a kind of a response time, and I think many people, though, feel the, the heaviness of life. 
and even the fear of the unknown, of what's ahead. It reminds me of the story of a king and his kingdom, and if there was a, a, a harsh enough uh, crime that was done, they would have to go to the king, and the king would say, this is punishable by death, and so there was the guillotine, and so the, he would ask them. He'd always give an option. He said, would you like the guillotine, or would you like whatever's behind that large black steel door? And what's amazing is this man, he asks this man, and he says, I'll take the guillotine. Just before his life is ended, he says, King, wait a second. I'm not going to be able to tell anybody, but could you tell me what's behind the black door? And the king kind of chuckles and says, you know, everybody asks me that. Everybody asks me what's behind the black door. Nobody's willing to take the chance of what the king is offering behind that door because they don't trust the king. He said, well, what's behind the door? He said, freedom, a pardon, complete healing, complete restoration like you never did it. Why is it that so many people today would rather live a lie dressed up in truth's clothing? Because fearful of what might be behind that door as God offers healing. I know this morning some of you feel forsaken by God. You feel like your life uh, has been on that kind of stretcher. You might have lost a son or a daughter, a child, and you feel like, where's God? If he's really real, where is he? You might have lost a spouse. You might be going through financial hardship, marital pain. Maybe there's even physical pain, but friends, God said we would feel the evilness of this world physically and the world in itself is still has largely and we'll suffer and feel that but he says what I offer a healing is for the inside of your life a, a difference between joy and happiness happiness is measured on the outside joy flows from the inside of a contented heart and this morning you're not forsaken but as we kind of listen to this song of as we talk about what it means to feel left out, I want you to just ponder the thought. Some of you this morning don't know God. You've played religion. You've got, you're kind of living the lie dressed up in some truth, truth's clothes. And you haven't fully embraced the death that Christ did for you because you are sick. You haven't fully let go like that drowning man. You're still trying to save yourself. And part of the beauty of resurrection is you have a chance this morning, no matter how lost or left out you feel, he's there for you. I'm going to pray for us, and I want you just to think about this song. Father in heaven, as we look to your spirit to do work in this place, might you expose the sickness in hearts. And God, might you remind them that you're a God that loves the sick and forsaken, those who feel left out and lost. God, might you call them to finally let go this morning and to surrender to you in Jesus' name, amen.